Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Their problem was not the Babylonians. Their problem was God. And when God is your problem, God is your solution, your only solution. Romans 8.31 says, and you know this well, it's a great promise. If God is for you, who can be against you? But that goes the other way too. If God is against you, who's going to be for you? If you're coming up against God, then God is your problem. And that was the problem. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew what God wanted you to do, but you were actively going against it? Maybe it involved a career move or a relationship. How did that end up for you? Pastor J.D. teaches you today that going against God results in God-sized consequences that bring you back to His perfect will. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 22 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Jesus said, whoever does this for the least of these does it for me. The Lord takes notice. You're doing this for me. And by the way, you're lending to the Lord? I don't think so. The Lord is no debtor to no man. But you treat the poor who could do nothing in return. You bless them, you feed them, you don't say to them like James says, an indictment of its own. Be warm, be well fed. Hey, we'll do lunch sometime. Can we? I would love to eat a meal. We blow them off. We have no care. Here's an interesting one for you. I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. Do you know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? Now, of course, the first thing that comes to mind, the go-to is sexual sin. Well, they were certainly steeped in sexual sin. But if you read the account carefully and closely, here's what you'll find. The sin of Sodom was they had no regard for the poor. At first read, you read right over it, and you get right to the sexual immorality. And certainly they were judged for that, and destroyed for that. But isn't it interesting that the sin that they were known for, first and foremost, top of the list, not sexual immorality, they didn't care about the poor. You think God takes seriously the poor and needy? Oh man, it rises to the level of God judging these leaders that were so corrupt. They were only feathering the nests of those who could in return feather their nests, so to speak. Under the table, the course of justice had been so corrupted. Doubtless you've heard that expression, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They were so corrupt and no justice. And you think the poor and the needy are going to get any justice? No. They were oppressing them, taking advantage of them, using them, discarding them. And God says, oh no, you're not. Before we move on to this next one, I don't know if it's possible to overstate this. This is the measure. This is the gauge. 
you show me someone who takes care of the poor and needy, who can do nothing for them, I'll show you a godly man and a godly woman, let alone a godly leader. They're caring for, concerned about the poor and the needy. That's the measure. That's the measure. Here's another one, verse 18, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He, verse 19, shall be buried with the burial of a donkey. Oh, how are donkeys buried? Oh, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's how. Wait, what? That's what's going to happen to this guy? Yeah. Did that actually happen? Yes. Exactly as God said it would. Why is this in our Bibles? Because this is yet another measure of a leader, certainly. But this time it has to do with people either mourning or rejoicing your death. Wow, that's kind of morbid, isn't it, Pastor? Well, no. Listen to Proverbs 11.10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. He died. Party! Praise the Lord, he's dead. Good riddance. Thank you, God. Is that too much? I'm just telling you that's exactly what happened with this Jehoiakim. He was so evil that when he died, the people rejoiced. Hey, you know that when people rejoice when you die, that's because isn't it true that everyone has something good to say about the deceased? I mean, they could have been rotten to the core. I know some of you are looking at me like, are you going to share that one story? Why not? I can't resist. So there's these two brothers. They're so corrupt. They're so crooked. They're so dishonest. And they're so wealthy too. And they were known throughout the town. Well, one of these brothers dies. So the other brother goes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I'd like to have you do the memorial service for my brother, and I will pay off your building if you will say at my brother's memorial service that he was a saint. Pastor goes, okay, you're on. You'll pay off the building? Yeah. But you have to say that my brother was a saint. Pastor says, no problem. Pastor gets up there. <laughs> he gets up there. And he goes on about the brother saying, they were crooked and dishonest and corrupt and horrible, wicked, evil people. And then he says this, but compared to his brother, this brother was a saint. There I said it. What's my point before I move on? I mean, at a memorial service, for the deceased. You're going to come up with something good. They could have been wretches, but you'll come up with something good. If you can't, they must have been really wicked for you to rejoice. Can you imagine the memorial service? There's no weeping. They're partying. 
the pastor gets up there and he's like praising God. The worship team is up there singing songs. Praise God, this guy's dead. That means he must have been really wicked. Do you get it so we can move on? Verse 20, go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you, listen to this, in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. Hang on to that. This has been your manner from your youth that you did not obey my voice. Okay, conviction time. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. Let's be honest with ourselves, okay? Is that not true of us? If we're honest with ourselves, would we not have to admit that when things are going good, we're not really hearing the Lord? But boy, let adversity strike. I'm all ears. Oh Lord, <laughs> this is Ecclesiastes 7.14. Basically goes like this. During times of prosperity, when things are good, praise the Lord. Thank God. Enjoy the prosperity. But when, I wish it didn't say when, I wish it said if by chance. No, when adversity strikes, and adversity will strike, stop and consider your ways and realize that God allows one as well as the other so that no man can discover his future, meaning that God will bring prosperity alongside with the adversity, if for no other reason He'll allow adversity to strike, just so He can get our attention. Because when things are going good, oh my goodness, even in our prayer life, it says, bless them, bless this, thank you God, and off you go. Hey, things are going good. But boy, let adversity strike, and I mean your prayer life changes. Oh God, oh now I got your attention. I've been trying to speak to you, but you're so busy. You're going to and fro, back and forth, and things are good. And you're not hearing my voice, because the volume of your prosperity in your life is too loud. And when I speak, I speak in that still small voice, and you will not hear me when things are going good. So the only way I'm going to get you to hear me is to allow adversity. Then you're listening. Oh, we do it. I do it. Come on, I'll admit. When things are going good, ah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Adversity strikes. Oh God, what do you want to show me here? Speak to me, Lord. His Word comes alive. Well, His Word is alive. It's active. But isn't it true when things are going good and you're in the Word, you just kind of read it and praise the Lord. That was great devotional and time in the Word. But boy, you're going through a trial and adversity strikes. Every word is like, oh, that's for me. That's for me. Come on. I thought we were going to be honest with ourselves. Before I entered the pastorate, I remember times when, you know, I would just leave church thinking, you know, I didn't really get much out of that. Oh, really? And I would talk to my brother in Christ, who's like, going through it, man. I mean, going through it. He's like, man, that really spoke to me. I'm like, did we hear the same teaching? Did you? Did we? Did you? Because, you know, for me it was like, yeah, it's it good teaching. For him it was like life and death. 
He was hanging on to every word, and God was speaking to him, and it was like every word was for him. Why? Oh, because of the adversity. Adversity has a way, doesn't it? Isn't it true when you're going through it, and you're in the Word of God, it's like every verse, I mean, you've read it a thousand times, you've committed it to memory, but it's like you're reading it for the first time. Why? Because God's speaking to you, and you're listening. Why are you listening? Because now God's got your attention. How did God get your attention? He allowed adversity to strike. See, prior, heretofore, He did not have your attention, because things were going really good. I heard it said this way, it's always stuck with me over the years, you just glide and abide. I mean, you're just on Christian cruise control. Everything's going good. Why rock the boat? Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Oh, really? I see how it is. You know, I kind of miss you. We haven't talked in a while. Been so busy in your prosperity. Yeah, we need to talk. (laughs) Here comes the adversity. What do you want to say, Lord? Speak. Your servant is listening. Verse 22, the wind shall eat up all your rulers. Some of your translations, this is crazy, but some of your translations render that word rulers pastors. I'm going to leave that one right there. Leaders, rulers, pastors, shepherds. And here's that word again. We need to talk about this. And your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then, you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, verse 23, making your nest in the cedars. How gracious will you be when pangs come upon you like the pain of a woman in labor? We need to uh, talk about this reference to these lovers. Who is this in reference to? Well, it's in reference to those complicit, those complicit political allies of these corrupt leaders. They're just as guilty. They were just as complicit in their corruption. These are the lovers. Oh, they're going to go into captivity too. Did this happen? You better believe it happened. Exactly as God said it would. Oh, would to God that we would be so careful when it comes to this. I want to be careful even how I say this. I'm going to ask you a question. It's not rhetorical. Do you really believe, you don't have to answer out loud, but just in your heart before the Lord, do you really believe that the corruption in this world today is as bad as it was in Jeremiah's day? Can I ask you another follow-up question of that? Do you believe that it's actually worse, the corruption? Maybe the question needs to really be, are we complicit in that? I might as well take it a step further. Lord, you're going to have to help me on this. Are we posting on social media complicit posts in support of corrupt leaders? You're complicit. Wait, instead of calling them out, You're complicit? Instead of calling them 
out for their corruption and their evil and their wickedness, you're actually supporting them. How about this one? Making excuses for them. Oh, come on. He's not a pastor. Excuse me? So you're just going to turn a blind eye to the evil, wicked, corruption, and sin? You're complicit. I'm sorry. You're complicit. And you'll have to answer for that. You'll have to give an account for that. And shame on you, by the way. I need to take this issue to the Lord, maybe some more, huh? Let's move on. Verse 24. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is another one now, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. This is along the same lines as the Lebanon, the forests, as valuable and beautiful and significant and important. The signet ring? That was your signature. And what God is saying is, just like I'm going to destroy those cedars, I'm going to take this signet off my right hand, and I, verse 25, will give you into the hand of those who seek your life, and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. Well, that's a little bit harsh. No, it's not. That seems kind of disproportionate. No, it's not. This is just. Well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that God is actually fighting against His own people? Yeah. Their problem was not the Babylonians. Their problem was God. And when God is your problem, God is your solution, your only solution. Romans 8.31 says, and you know this well, it's a great promise, if God is for you, who can be against you? But that goes the other way too. If God is against you, who's going to be for you? If you're coming up against God, then God is your problem. And that was the problem. This is against me. I'm going to deliver you into the hands of the Babylonians. So, verse 26, I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. That's a life verse, right? Somebody has that on their wall, framed wallpaper, probably not. Verse 27, but to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, verse 28, Coniah, a despised, broken idol, interesting wording, and it gets even more interesting, a vessel in which is no pleasure. Now again, you'll forgive me, but in the original language, this vessel in which there is no pleasure is actually speaking of a toilet. This Koniah down the toilet, despised. A vessel in which there is no pleasure. How about this one? A broken idol. Why is that significant? Because remember the reason why God is going to deliver them into the hands of the Babylonians is because Babylon was idol capital of the world. It was like God saying, hey, you like idols, do you? Okay, you win. You want your idols? I'm going to send you all expense paid trip to Babylon 
I will cure you of your idolatry. And it worked. You will not read after the Babylonian captivity of idolatry being the sin in which the Israelites, and Judah in particularly, were involved. It worked. Again, this is just. This is just. You've chosen this over me. You've rejected me. You've forsaken me. I'm going to give you over to that. Because your mind's already made up. Your heart is already hardened. Your neck is already stiffened. Your fate is already sealed. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to force myself on you. You've already made your choice. And you've chosen idolatry. So, Romans 1, I'm going to give you over to it. You can have it. Get your fill of it. Oh, you want meat to eat? You've rejected my manna from heaven? There every morning? Delicious, by the way. And you don't want the manna anymore? You want meat to eat? Okay, have some quail, and you'll get your fill of it. And how many of them died with the meat stuck between their teeth? Very graphic. You want meat? You want flesh? Here, have it. You don't want me. You've already made your choice. I'm going to give you over to that choice. I know this is hard, but it's true. A vessel in which is no pleasure. Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? Verse 29, we'll finish the chapter, verse 29 and 30. Listen to this. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, for those who are interested, this is a fascinating study when you get into the genealogy of the Savior in both Matthew and Luke, from Mary and Joseph. And what you'll find, if you're interested in doing this, it is so fascinating. Jesus was the only one who could sit on the throne of David by way of Joseph and Mary. And that's where the two genealogies differ between Matthew and Luke. It is so interesting. I wish we had time. We don't. I want to bring the chapter to an end this way. This is arguably the harshest of judgments, and I'll explain why. God is appealing to the earth to hear. The implication is, is that man will not hear. So I have to resort to the earth. Earth, 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 hear. They're not hearing me. You know it's bad when God has to go to the earth to hear, because man has shut his ear. You know what's sad? And throughout the Old Testament, hear, O Israel, hear the New Testament. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The question is never, is God speaking? God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? Do we hear? When I say hear, we hear, but we're not really hearing. You know how it is? That's what God's saying. You're tuning me out. Hear, listen, 
Maybe that's in a word, the word for us here. Listen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Jeremiah is one of those books that's not the easiest to walk through in the Old Testament. It's almost like you see the train wreck that's up ahead and you want to warn them, but they just don't listen. Then you have other verses in this book that are commonly claimed, but what does it really mean in the context of what's going on? Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But if you're looking at the train wreck up ahead, you wonder, how does claiming that verse fit with exile and judgment? Ultimately, God's plan and purpose are to bring people back to himself in reliance and dependence on him, not in their own possessions or their comfort. The same could be said for you today. You may be going through something that seems like judgment or exile, but are you drawing closer to the Lord in the process? There's a future and a hope, but it may play out differently than you'd like. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Jeremiah, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com to find these messages. There are a variety of additional resources on our website. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and then come back for our next edition where Pastor J.D. will continue on in the book of Jeremiah. We look forward to that time with you here on In Spirit and Truth.